Well, good morning. Great to be together. I'm going to pray, and um, if it's not your practice to pray, it's going to be a very simple prayer. It's just going to be a prayer that says help, and uh, I think we all need it. So how about I pray for us? Uh, you might like to bow your head, whatever, but uh, let me pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we uh, come to a very uh, critical time together as we consider these very profound truths, and uh, we would pray for help. That please you would help me speak what is true and speak it clearly that you would help all of us uh, understand you more fully and truly and understand ourselves more fully and truly. Please, that you would bring us, therefore, to life, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to talk to you about uh, confirmation bias. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's not the topic that we advertise. We're going to talk about bad people going to heaven, aren't we? And, uh, well, yes, it's a massively important topic that we're going to deal with. Uh, but it is so confronting and countercultural. Uh, I want to actually start here on the issue of confirmation bias because it'll help us all the way through. So confirmation bias, what is it? Well, it's a bias uh, towards a certain uh, idea, thought, outcome, which you find evidence to keep confirming, even though the evidence may not support it entirely, confirmation bias. And it happens all the time. Um, you end up only noticing that evidence that supports the bias that you already have. Let me illustrate it with you. For you, um, my wife and I, Cathy, we uh, we make sure once a week we go for a surf together. And um, so this thing though happens when we go down to the surf. Uh, we'll do the surf check. We'll look. We'll look at the ocean. We'll be looking at the very same ocean, exactly the same water. And Cathy will be going. She'll go. Wow, that's awesome. We need to get out there. And uh, and I'll be going. You've got to be nuts. It's terrible. I'm not going out there. And we look at the same ocean. Now, what's happening? Kathy goes, there's a wave that looks fantastic. And I go, there's a hundred waves that look terrible. The wind's on shore. The whole thing's choppy. There's no one out. Now, what's going on with the differences between us? Well, Kathy is a grommet in an old woman's clothes. <laughs> well, that was terrible, wasn't it? She's in, 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 a, in a very young... She, she, I've married a grom who just froths on the surf and wants to get out there no matter what. And so she does this confirmation bias thing where she wants to get in the water, she loves getting in the water, and she'll find the one wave that makes it look like it's worth getting in the water, whereas I'm completely objective. <laughs> I'm just seeing what is and no bias at all. Now, here's the deal. I know you, I knew you'd laugh at that because... I'm doing the same thing, you know. I'm sick of sitting in rubbish and I don't want to. So we find the evidence that suits. We all do it. Everyone does it. We've got this bias. We've got this conclusion. We want to have true and we find the evidence that supports it. We don't listen to the evidence that doesn't support it. You know, um, political parties. Uh, If you voted for a political party that's now in power, that's changed its promise from its pre-election promises to drop it, has anyone heard that happen? And you voted for them. What you'll be doing is going, that's leadership. When circumstances change, of course they have to change. But if you voted for the other party and you're against them, you'll be going, there is the comp- there's all the evidence of everything that's wrong with politics. You can't trust politicians. Until your party gets in and they break their promise and you go, well, that's leadership. <laughs> and so you actually, you, you just find the answer you want and you find the evidence that suits. There's that, there's that man who's committed a crime, apparently said to have committed a crime. You don't like the way he looks. He looks kind of snarky and immature and rude. And so you're convinced he's committed, though you've not looked at all the evidence, but you find the evidence that confirms your bias against him and you don't listen to the evidence that doesn't confirm confirmation bias. You understand what it is. We all do it. This topic is almost completely at the mercy of confirmation bias. Who goes to heaven? It's a hugely important question still in our community, 
what's interesting is that many people in the media and so on would have you believe that no one thinks these things anymore, no one cares about these things, everyone's moved on. But there was some research done just two years ago that indicated that 48% of people are sure that there's a life after death and another 28, almost 30%, uh, aren't sure but are pretty sure it will be the case. Almost 80% of the population are still very largely convinced that after death something happens that there's more to life. There's only 4% that think it doesn't happen. The great number of people, majority of people in our society, are still convinced that there's something after this life, a life to come. And it's a good instinct, because if you've looked at the historical evidence of the person of Jesus, which you can come and do in our life series, it goes through it very thoroughly, it's an amazing thing to look at. If you go through the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus, (coughs) you will find that the evidence for him coming back to life into a new life, a new existence beyond the grave is overwhelming. There is something beyond. But that then begs the question for us, how do you get to be part of that life? How do you go to heaven? And people still have very firm views on that. Um, Whatever uh, opinion you have, you will have a very strong opinion about what you go to a funeral... A young mum has died. It's a tragic circumstance, of course. But almost everybody there, whether it's a Christian funeral, a religious funeral or not, almost everybody there will be totally convinced that she's in a better place. Why? If you asked one of the people there, why is she in a better place? Why do you think she's in a better place? And they will say, because she was a good woman. Or, because she wasn't super bad. So most of us operate in that kind of realm. In the popular mind, it's almost a universal conviction. We are sure there is something beyond this life. Call it heaven, whatever, nirvana, whatever you want to call it, some better place. And we're sure that everyone will be there except the very worst. Everyone will be there except the truly bad. They won't be there. But here's the thing. And I'm going to speak as boldly and boldly as I can. That thinking, that popular thinking, is totally and completely wrong. It's not just a little bit wrong, but it's completely wrong and dangerously wrong. That's why our sign out the front had that statement on it, uh, it's actually bad people that can make it to heaven. It's bad, it's the bad ones who go there. Now we were tempted to put on it another statement, it just gets too many lines of course, but we want to also say it's only the very bad people that go there. To try and say that, to make it as, we are saying something at complete odds with the popular view on how you get to heaven. Just, just hear that. And I'm doing this as boldly as I can because we have this confirmation bias operating, this thing that says if there is a heaven, it's for good people or at least people who are not that bad. And we're wanting to say that is completely wrong. It's actually for the bad people and only the very bad people. The popular thinking is wrong. Now, this is not just me making up a thought. I'm taking this, as we try and do always in this place, from the words of Jesus. We are convinced that uh, the person of Jesus is an historical figure 
who is not just an ordinary man, but actually a man come from God, in fact, as the Son of God, God Himself in the flesh, come to reveal to us the truth about God, teach us about who God is. So He is someone very much to listen to. And again, if you're not convinced of that, we'd love to go through the evidences with you. Our life series will help do all of that process. And I want to show you a place where Jesus speaks to this very topic, when He compares the popular thinking of His day, which was exactly like our popular thinking, about who is in and who is out, with the truth of from God who is in and who now I warn you it's likely very shocking it's counter to everything the popular mind thinks have you got that now it's a story from Luke chapter 18 if you've got a bible turn it up there Uh, if you haven't listen in it's a fairly simple story but it's always good to have the words in front that you can check what I'm saying Uh, two men uh, we're told there in verse 10 two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. That's the simple structure of the story. It's, a very, it's, it's not a very complex thing at all. But just to give you two bits of background before we go too far. This will help us actually make sense of what's going here. The first one uh, is that this story is actually about who gets into heaven, though the word heaven is not used. But it's about who gets into heaven because in verse 14, Jesus says, uh, he talks about who it is that went home justified before God. And that little word justified is the key to understand what Jesus is talking about. So let me explain the word justified. The word justified is a legal term from the ancient world. It comes out of the courtroom setting where a judge would hear all the evidence against someone who's been accused of a crime and he would make one or two judgments. He would make the judgment either this person is condemned, guilty, go into into, uh, uh, jail, um, or uh, is justified is just before the courts, is accounted to be right before the courts, has no case to answer for. Now, the the judge may not be saying the person is morally good, but they're just saying, I declare you to be accepted by the courts, justified. Okay, That's the nature of the word. Which therefore means what we're talking about in this little story that Jesus tells is really about who is the one who is counted right with God? Who is the one that on judgment day, when we die and stand before God, who is that one that God will declare justified, accepted, come into heaven? And who is the one who will be cast out? That's basically what the story is about. There's the first bit of background that you need to know to understand this story. The second bit of background is to understand the two men in the story because they're not as they seem. He talks about the two men, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now the problem is that when we hear the word Pharisee and tax collector, we don't hear it the way the first century heard it because we've had 2,000 years of Christian culture telling us who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. So when we hear the word Pharisee, uh, we tend to think arrogant, religious snob. So we already go, bad. And when we hear the phrase tax collector, we tend to hear um, a badly misunderstood battler who's just working hard. Sure, he's not perfect. Um, so we, we, we've got to... Let me redo this for us. When, you, when, the word, when the idea of a Pharisee was talked about in the ancient world, um, it wasn't the vibe that they were the bad guy, they were the good guys. They were not paid religious leaders, so they weren't caught up in the religious system in some kind of paid way where they benefited from it at that level. Um, They were actually volunteers who were serious about their faith. That's what they were. They were very serious about their faith. Uh, They were fair dinkum about being um, solid members of the citizen. I use fair dinkum Australia Day, right? So we've got to use an Australian language. Um, But that's about as much as we're going to talk about. But they, they, they were very impressive people. They were reliable Pharisees. They said they'd do something, they'd do it. 
They were good workers, hard workers. When you hear the word Pharisee, I think it's helpful for us to think of Mother Teresa. Who's heard of Mother Teresa? Yeah, who hasn't heard of Mother Teresa? Yeah, a couple. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so yeah, Mother Teresa is disappearing into previous generation, but Mother Teresa was, um, you know, the quintessential wonderfully sacrificial, righteous person, that if anyone was going to go, it was Mother Teresa. That was the way we understood. So when you think Pharisee, think Mother Teresa, someone who sacrificed herself in the slums to care for people who were in need. Tax collector. Well, as I say, when we hear that phrase today, uh, we think of just a public servant working hard in an office somewhere, trying to eke out a living in the ancient world. But no, 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 no. Tax collector, you've got to think extortionist. When you hear the tax collector, you've got to think standover guy, bully. A tax collector was not in an office somewhere doing their job. A tax collector was a Jew appointed by the enemy, the Romans, who were oppressing the Jews, to collect taxes for the Romans. So a member of the Jewish community asked to collect taxes for the enemy who were oppressing his own people. He was, he was someone who a traitor, betrayed. Not only that, he had permission to collect as much money as he's like, as long as he gave the cut that needed to go to the Romans. So they, tax collectors would, were extortionists. They, they were standover. They would, they would rip off people in poverty and so on to get as much money as they could to shine their own pocket. They were, they were evil. They were as bad. This, this is the quintessential bad. You're meant to think Second World War, Jewish supporting uh, the Nazi party. Uh, the lowest of the low. Now, all of that helps to get some emotionally uh, connected positions as we hear this story. So Jesus says, these two go up, Mother Teresa and the really bad one, the worst of the worst, the tax collector. And he asks the question, which, of the ones, which one goes home justified? Which one goes home accepted by God? Which one goes to heaven? And the answer Jesus gives, verse 14... I tell you, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Wow. The ancient crowd uh, would have found themselves going, what are you talking about? (laughs) Tax collector? The extortionist? Bully? Abuser? And the Pharisee? Mother Teresa? What begs the question, what's going on here? Now, what is going on here? I'll give it to you. Here's what's going on. It's where they looked that made all the difference. It's where they looked for their hope. One looks inside of himself for his hope and the other looks outside of himself for his hope. And that made everything different. One man is an inside hope man, the other is an outside hope man, and it's only the outside hope man that's justified. Now, how does that explain it? I've not really explained it at all yet, although some of you are going, ah, you might already see it, but let me take you through and explain what I'm talking about. The first man, the key here is to look at his prayer, verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. He stood and prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers and even this tax collector. Now just slide past that for a moment and come to verse 12. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I have. You ask the question, what made this man think he was able to stand before God and have God hear his prayer and be accepted by God? What makes this man think he can pray to God and stand before? It's because of what he saw inside of himself. 
It's because he sees himself as a good person. Or at least, not as bad as the worst. Which is exactly why he says, I thank you, I'm not like these really bad ones. He stands before God in the temple and he believes that he'll be in heaven because of what's inside him. How his heart is before God. He's okay because he's tried his best. Now you imagine this man at the funeral of that young woman. People ask him, where do you think she is? And he says, she's going to be okay. And they say, why? And he says, because she was a good person in her heart. She wasn't as bad as. This is the represent this Pharisee represents the popular thinking about heaven, about how you get to heaven. And it's the classic vast majority view that's being presented for us. He thinks he's okay before God because of what's inside of him. He is decent. Now, Jesus paints this man in a particularly extreme form to kind of add to the critique and make it very evident. Jesus, I think, helpful this. Because what he draws attention to there in verse 11 is, you know, the Pharisee says, I thank you, I'm not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. And what Jesus is indicating, I think, is that he's saying, if you're an inside hope person, if you're a person who thinks your hope before God is based on how you live, you'll end up necessarily being competitive. You'll end up necessarily becoming judgmental. Because the insider hope person always ends up being needing to be better than others to assure themselves that they're okay. It's like that joke. Have you heard that joke about the bear in the woods and the two men? Great, let me tell it to you. In North America, there's two men hiking and they come upon an aggressive bear that turns to start chasing them. One of the men pauses and does up the shoes, laces of his running shoes and gets them all set. And the other man says, what do you think you're doing? You can't outrun a bear. And he says, I don't need to. All I need to do is outrun you. <laughs> it's not very funny, okay. Right, but... <laughs> but see, using a light thing to tell a very serious point. If you think that your standing before God is based on not being as bad as the worst person, it matters to you to demonstrate that there are worse people than you. You become inherently competitive, judgmental. And just to put more technical language to it, if you're a legalist, you will tend to be critical of many other people. If you're someone who relates to God on the basis of your works, your righteousness, you will be judgmental. It's one of the diagnostic things to consider what's happening for you. If you're an inside hope person, because another word for all of this, another phrase for all of this is that you are self-righteous. An inside hope person is a self-righteous person. And in fact, Jesus tells this story, Luke chapter 18 verse 9, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, who thought that it was their activity, their life, their goodness, they're not being as bad as others that made them. He told this story to them. Now notice this, Jesus says the Pharisee does not go home accepted by God. Notice, he is not justified, he is not in heaven. 
Now, I'm trying to be as blunt as possible because of confirmation bias that operates in all of us. And let me apply it a little bit more to us to kind of push into our confirmation bias. The Pharisee was a good person. He was better than any of us sitting here. If the basis of getting right with God was how good you were, he is in. Because he's better than me, he's better than you. Yes, his self-righteousness was ugly. But what Jesus was doing was making explicit the thing that is in every person who is an inside hope person, though we're better at hiding it than they were. I've noticed this over the years more and more. The more people look to their own self-righteousness, the more they'll put, it's possible to put on a beautiful exterior and, and look wonderfully polite and warm and I wouldn't be that. But you'll find groups that you judge. You, are, you, you hate those Trump supporters. I'm glad I'm not like that. Or, I'm glad I'm not like those woke, progressive, self-absorbed people. The the, the left-wing voters. You'll find some group to justify yourself as being... We all do it. It's part of our construct as a society. We have actually given ourselves over as a society to being inside a hope people. Because our whole society is now based on finding our sense of worth inside of us. We've got a whole society that's biased towards thinking that we are special people. And we think the way to create health amongst us is to actually find our significance and worth inside of ourselves. As a society, we are bound over to this kind of thinking. But let me be blunt again, self-righteous did not make it. No one will who is looking on the inside of themselves for their merit or worth because there's no one righteous, not even one. Now, what I'm saying here in the most blunt way possible is more obvious even when you compare it to the alternative. So if you're still not convinced, just hang in with me and let me take you through the other man. Let's look at the second man. I've called him the outside hope man. And let me take you through this, verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance... He wouldn't even come to the front of the temple. He would sit up the back, like you wonderful people up the back. You're in heaven. All these people down here. No, no, this is not the temple. This is just a building. It's not, there's no presence of God thing going on like that. But this man wouldn't even come to the front. And look what he says here. Jesus says, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He comes into the temple and he, stand, he slinks into the back and he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He bows his head. Now, what's going on for him in his heart? What's going on for him? One word starts with S-H-A-M-E. Shame. What's going on for him is shame. He's not even sure he belongs in the temple. He doesn't feel fit to be there. He can't come to the front. He can't look up to heaven because he's full of shame. And then he beats his breast and he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. What is that? He's looked inside himself and what has he seen? Nothing but bad. He's realised that if God judges him according to what's inside, he has no hope. But he prays. He prays what? God, have mercy on me. 
Where's he looking to for his hope? It's not inside, it's now outside. What's he looking outside to? A thing that God might do, a character that God might have, that he might be the God who is by character merciful and might act towards him with mercy. He's realised that his only hope was outside of himself in what God was like and what God might do. Now dig here for a moment. Do you see what this means? He's realised that he is at God's mercy. That's where he's come to. Lord, have mercy on me. He is at God's mercy. Now that word mercy is important here to pay attention to. If you're asking for mercy, you're aware that you're not owed something. If you're asking for mercy, you're aware that the thing that you want is not something that ought to be given to you, that must be given to you, that's obligated to be given to you. You're aware if you're asking for mercy that if someone doesn't give you mercy, they're doing the right thing. They're doing what they should do. This is massive. Get hold of this. This man came to realise he is entirely at the mercy of God's free choice. It was up, he realised it's up to God now, either to show mercy or do what's right and condemn me. He has come to the point where he has handed over authority on his life to God. He's come to the point of saying, my future, whether it's condemned or in attorney with you, is entirely now in your hands. I'm at your mercy. I'm helpless before you. I've got no case to argue for. There's no justification in what I've done. There's nothing I can... I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve. You know, it's only when you come to the point of realising you've got no case to argue for that you truly see your guilt. I am... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got a parking fine. I haven't told Kathy this. Kathy, I got a parking fine. <laughs> I was trying to hide it. Um, I was visiting someone uh, uh, from church here, um, and uh, and they said, when you come, there's no parking in this. You'll have to find parking a street up. There's a patch of grass there. You'll park there, and, uh, and that's where you have to go. So I drove in and parked on the grass. Got out of the car went to see them. Came back some hours later, and there was a parking fine on my. Oh, what the heck? And then I looked up and just five feet in front of me was a post with a red no standing zone pointing at me and five feet behind me was a post with a red pointing at me saying, and I went, that rotten friend of mine who said to park here. (laughs) No, I didn't. I've got to say, confirmation bias, I immediately went to, yeah, why did he tell... And then I thought, no, 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 I'm an adult. I parked here when there were two very clear signs right in front, right behind, it was my mistake and you know what, I paid the fine straight away because I knew there's, I'm not going to argue that I've, like what do I argue? I'm an idiot is what I argue. <laughs> so I just paid it straight away so I didn't have to tell Kathy. It, um, <laughs> friends, before God, this tax collector faced the fact That before the God of the universe, the holy God of the universe, he was entirely worthy of condemnation. 
If he had any hope of eternity with this God, it's only that God might not do what was the just thing to do. If he had any hope, it was only that God might do an astonishing thing and show mercy to him. He's come to the point of owning, he is at the mercy of God. This is a massive point of difference between these two men. The Pharisee, when he looked within, he was sure he'd be okay and the consequence was, he's the consequence of that is, he thinks he's owed something by God. He thinks that if he stands before God and God rejects him, how dare he? The young mum comes before God, sure she's not bad enough to go to hell and God sends her to hell and her reaction is, how dare he? Because hidden in the self-righteousness, the insider hope thinking is the thought that my life creates an obligation on God to do something for me and that's called pride. It's called pride. Whereas the tax collector, when he looked within and saw nothing, he was left with nothing, he knows he's owed nothing by God and if he gets anything else, it's the free gift of someone who acts graciously, to be generous. And behind all of this sits another thing, which is that it was the tax collector who was living in light of the truth. So the difference between the two was not actually morality. The difference between the two was not the, the Pharisees 7 out of 10 and the tax collectors 1 out of 10. That's not the difference between the two. The difference between the two is not that one's good and one's bad, because the fact is, the truth of the matter is, they were both bad. One might be half out of 10, the other was 0.6 out of 10. The difference between the two is that one man faced the truth about himself. And if the first, the Pharisee, looked truthfully and honestly into his heart, what would he see? That every good thing that he did was shot through with pride and self-righteousness and arrogance. Every good thing was an act of hostility towards God, though we covered it over and made it... The difference was that the tax collector saw God as he truly is so far holier than us, so far more righteous, there's nothing I can... My righteous deeds are like filthy rags. One saw God as God, the other saw Him as an object to be manipulated. One was humble before God, the other was too proud to humble himself. And so the difference wasn't actually good, bad. The difference was the difference of a heart that was humble, heart that pride. Now, why didn't the Pharisees see what was there to see? Why didn't the Pharisees see his heart for what it truly was? And God, because he didn't want to. Because of confirmation bias. You, you, you see, to come to terms with seeing what my heart really is like actually requires me to face the shame of my life. I don't want that. So I'll find all the evidence. Of the con it, it forces me to actually realise I'm at the mercy of someone. I'm not in control of my life. Someone else has the say over my life. That is a that is a terrifying place and I don't want that. So I'll find all the evidence suggests, no, I'm okay, I can make my way. Confirmation bias. Friends, all of this, um, just to say again, which one made it? 
the bad, the really bad. And the point is the only bad, it's only the bad that make it into heaven because no one is good. <laughs> so if you're in heaven, it's, you've been bad. There is no one righteous, not even one, says the Bible. Mother Teresa, the quintessential good person back in the day, well, the people who actually knew her wrote books to tell us she wasn't all that she appeared. And that's not a surprise to any of us who know what the Bible says about human nature. Of course she was a sinner, we all are. If you think an inside look at yourself will make you okay... It's because you want to believe that about yourself, not because the evidence says it's true. Which is why we've now moved out of the realm of the seemingly arbitrary religious claims. Let me take you in just another thought for a moment. I think one of the challenges for us in the secular world we live in is that we imagine all religions are just different ways of saying what you've got to do to get to heaven. And we imagine, you know, ah, oh, the Jews have their set of rules, the Buddhists have their set of rules, the Hindus, Christians have theirs. They're all just doing the same thing, but just different set of rules. And in my position as a 21st century secular humanist, I realise actually they're all just, they're all doing their own thing. I can make up my own thing because God only just cares about you being a decent person and not that bad. So why am I think that's what you've got to do? And he, no, we imagine, we imagine Christianity is just one more variation on this theme. But what the Bible and Jesus are saying is all of that is wrong. Your goodness is as significant as your wealth. It won't buy you into a heaven. No, your goodness, it's the wrong category entirely. What makes you able to stay in on the last day is nothing to do with your merit, nothing to do with what's inside of you. The only thing that makes you able to stand is something that's outside of you. The hope, the hope that God might be merciful. And that is a unique message in all the religions. It's only biblical Christianity that teaches that. Which I think is another piece that confirms we're in touch with a word from God here, not just a human manufactured idea. Jesus comes saying our only hope is outside of us, in God, His grace. And that's a terrifying thought because the question that must then come is, what if He's not merciful? What if God just becomes impatient with me? What if I can't trust that he will forgive me? Am I lost? And that's a critical inquiry. That's where I want to get you this morning. I want to get you to the place where you sit there going, wow, if God is not merciful, if he chooses not to show grace, I am lost are you there are you there or are you still living with the inside of hope well that is a deep question for us uh what if god is not merciful what's what's our hope can we trust that he might be merciful well that is the beauty the glory and the greatness of the christian message which is unique among all the religions it's a word about god who is outside of us who actually shows himself to be, in essence, a God of mercy, a God of love, who comes into our world in the person of his Son, taking on flesh, to show us mercy, to come to make it possible that he can forgive sinners, 
by paying our debt for us. And God does this, he makes a promise. Freely, he didn't need to make this promise. But he makes a promise and you ought not think that he has to. He makes a promise freely and says this to you. Anyone who humbles himself like this tax collector, no matter your history, no matter your baggage, no matter what's gone on for you, anyone who humbles himself and looks to me for mercy, I'll give it to them. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's only those who come like a little child that receive the kingdom. He keeps saying it, (laughs) he keeps saying it. The message of the Bible is God is merciful, he is gracious in his very being. If he would only come to your senses and be honest about your heart and stop looking in for your hope but look out to him for your hope, you'll find it. And the thing this morning is, have you done that? Have you looked out to him? Or is your hope somehow still in you and what you've done and how much you've done and whether you've got enough of this and whether you've done enough of that? Is that where your hope is? Well, Jesus is saying there is no hope to be found there. But if you look out to me, I am the God of mercy. I delight to show mercy. I rejoice to save sinners. And you can be sure that if you look to me because of the merits of Jesus, you will be forgiven. What a great, that is the great message that our world has never heard because it has confirmation bias going. It keeps turning it into, turning it into. Now, it is massive. I just, I need to say this finally though. Um, If you do come to God like the tax collector and beat your breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and find him to be merciful, it'll change your whole life. It doesn't mean you then walk out the door and continue as tax collecting. You see, it, it, it's, it, when you understand what the mercy of God is to us as sinners, it smashes respectability, it smashes casual Christianity, it smashes easygoing Christianity. It says before God, there's nothing casual and easy, you are lost apart from His grace, but if you come and find His grace, you will spend the rest of your days in awe of Him, looking outside to Him. In wonder what he's done. Seeking now to please him who has given you so much. Not because pleasing him earns your favour with God and so somehow you're inside hope. No, no, no. Because he has been gracious to you. To the extent that your Christian life, your following of God, your experience of church is at the centre of your life, is to to the extent to which you've probably understood the grace of God. To the extent that it's peripheral for you, you probably haven't understood what it is to be a tax collector. Because all our days we sing his praise because it's him who was given this this hope. You see, bad people go to heaven. In fact, those in heaven are the only ones in heaven are bad people. So if you're sitting here today thinking I'm a pretty good person, you won't be there. And I don't say that with some kind of triumph. That is a tragedy that you won't be there. Because deep down we are all Pharisees prone to self-righteousness. And we need to be like the tax collector, honest about ourselves and put our hope outside of us, not inside of us. And if your hope is outside, everything will change. The way you think about God, what place he has in your life will change. So my thing for you this morning is, have you done that? 
Have you done what the tax collectors... Have you come before God and truly humbled yourself and gone, I can't even look up to you, God, I'm sorry. When I look inside, I know I've got no hope. I'm completely at your mercy. Have you come to that point? And then have you cried out to God? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you done that? If you haven't, I'm going to give you a chance to do that this morning. I'm actually going to pray a prayer, which is just that prayer. Uh, And I want you to pray along with me in your own heart, mind. I'll pray a bit and pause and you can pray. I'll pray and you pray. So just follow along. And I'm just going to pray this. um, uh, God, I can't look up to you. I'm sorry. I realise your glory and my shame. God, have mercy on me. I'm just going to pray that prayer. Do you want to pray it? Let's do it together today. This might be your first time. Bow your heads. Let's not even look up to heaven. Let's bow our heads. Our great God, we can't even look up to you. We realise our hearts are sinful. We realise you are so far above us. But God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Forgive me. Thank you that you came in the person of Jesus to pay my debt and make it possible to be forgiven. Thank you. Please help me now live with you at the centre of my life. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you pray that prayer this morning, that is the greatest thing that's happened. This is a wonderful morning. You can go home with the words of Jesus saying, which one went home justified this morning? Or this afternoon, whatever time, this morning. Which one went home justified this morning? You who prayed the prayer, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You can go home knowing you've got right standing with God. But it'll change everything. And pray that God helps you understand how that change is going to occur. And it will mean you then start singing. And we have chosen, these guys have chosen, without even me knowing, an amazing song to finish with. A song that's about the amazing grace of God. So let's stand and sing together. Yeah.